got to continue to press through the scripture um, tonight in 1 Kings 19, the call of God and uh, the walk of faith as we meet a new prophet. So if you're there with me, 1 Kings 19, say amen. amen. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shephat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So, Father, we thank you tonight, Lord God, for the word that you put before us. I pray that you would open it to us, Lord God, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it, Lord God, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for that. We submit to it, Lord God, and uh, just work in us, refresh us, Lord, strengthen us. Those who have come out, Lord, let this word speak to them right where they are, us, all of us, Lord God, um, that your will would be done, that you would be glorified with our lives, Lord God, that our lives would have uh, just... uh, a bright burning of uh, a reflection of you, Lord God, and a fragrance come off of us of you, Lord God, and everything that we do, that it would have eternal uh, implications tied to it, Lord God. And when we get to heaven and we rejoice before you, before your throne, Lord God, we'll remember these days. We'll remember how your word washed us as it, as it chiseled away and sanded off the rough edges, Lord God, and just made us uh, more fit for your service. We love you. We thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so as we dive in, you remember last week as we wrapped up the last section, Elijah had ran to um, way down to Bathsheba below, below Judah, running from Jezebel. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it was there at the cave, you remember that he had the experience and he, um, he heard the voice of God, which he was familiar with. He had heard the word of the Lord had come to him over and over and over and over. And so uh, it wasn't in the earth, wind, and fire concert, but it was in the still small voice that spoke to him. And he answered and he responded. And he remembered that the Lord told him that he was going to go anoint uh, the new king of Syria. Um, he was going to also anoint a new prophet. And he also anointed a new king uh, over Israel. And, in, uh, and he sent him to anoint this new prophet, but what he said is that he would be prophet in your stead, if you will. And um, in fact, in verse 16, if you back up, you look at it, also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshai, as king over Israel. And there it is, Elisha, the son of Shephat, um, of Abel, Mahalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. That would have caused a lot of questions for me. Um, the scripture doesn't really indicate that Elijah had much conversation about it, um, but he immediately arose, as we're going to see tonight, verse 19. So he departed to go and 
to follow through with the word that God had given him. Maybe there are no questions because it wasn't fun being the prophet. Everybody today wants to be a prophet. Everybody thinks there's a prophet. Um, they always got a word that's so vague. Never really amounts to much of anything. You ever notice that? How they give you a prophecy, but it don't, it's not really specific. Anyway, um, Elisha, his ministry as a prophet almost cost him his life. He had to shed a lot of blood himself, 450 prophets of Baal he, had to, he slaughtered. Um, it put him on the run. Um, but it just continued to, 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 to draw him closer to God and teach him a lot of things about the Lord. Amen. And so he just had that really special relationship with the Lord. And we'll see in a few chapters how the Lord is just going to bring Elisha home. He's like, man, you just, I just got to have you in my presence. You know, sometimes we get upset when people, you know, die early, but you know, the Lord just wants to hang out with them. You know, maybe that's the case. And so he departed here in verse 19 from there. And he found Elisha. So he journeyed exactly as God did. He found Elisha, the son of Shepherd. You know, the interesting thing I told you about Elijah's name, it means my God is Jehovah. Y'all remember that? And I love that. His parents probably didn't know what he was going to be, but they named him my God is Jehovah. And in the midst of a dark and sinful and idolatrous nation and generation, this man who says my God is Jehovah went against the prophets of Baal and stood firm for his God his whole life. Isn't that amazing? And so now we meet Elisha, whose name means God is salvation. I love that. And his father's name means judged. And so we got this new scene, Elisha, and he goes and he finds him. And it says here that he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now that stands out to me just because when I study through the Old Testament scriptures, one of the things I find often is when God is getting ready to call someone. He always calls someone, and if you can you can study through the scriptures, he always calls someone who is so busy and faithful at what they are already doing. And if you find them, if you go through the scriptures and you find this boy, um, David faithfully serving his father, keeping the sheep to the point that he was not even considered when Samuel showed up to anoint the new king. But the faithful one that's out there doing what we're supposed to do was the one that got anointed king. When the Christophany, when the, when the angel of the Lord, when Christ showed up and he called Gideon, Gideon was faithfully threshing wheat in the wine press because Midian was coming down and attacking but he kept working, he kept working. And, and over and over and over in here, we see Elisha plowing in the field. And I think that when I begin to think about the call of God in our lives for anything, what, it doesn't matter what you think God may be calling you to do. None of it matters, whatever the case may be. It, it, if you even sense a call of God for any purpose in your life, the one thing I would say to you is God always calls the faithful. He always calls the one who is already being faithful to him right where they are. Not the person who's out dreaming about doing something greater to the point they can't do what they're supposed to be doing, which is right in front of them. You follow what I'm saying? And we see that throughout scripture, throughout scripture, even to the point that Jesus models the same thing. Because what did Jesus? He was found being faithful. 
The Bible tells us he was faithful to his parents all the way through. He was faithful to making furniture. He is God on the planet. Stuff's going on all around him. For 30 years, he made furniture. And, when it, and then it was time for him to be baptized. And, 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 and from heaven, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because the well pleased comes before the calling comes before you get the big call to go do something. He wants to be well-pleased in the little things that he already sees you doing. Isn't that something? It's amazing. Um, and that's kind of what I see as I look at Elisha. He doesn't know. He didn't get up that day knowing that this is the day God is going to do something. He's plowing in the field. This is an ordinary day. He got up. He ate breakfast or whatever. Did whatever he did, you know. Kissed his wife, maybe, you know, went over some Old Testament scriptures with his sons, maybe had a devotion with his, his, his people working with him. We don't know what he did. And then he strapped up everything to the oxen, the plow and all. He yoked them up and he, and he went out and he began to plow. And that's something we got to know. and We got to remember God calls us to be faithful where we already are, wherever you are. And we forget this. And Proverbs has been teaching us this. Wherever you are right now is where God desires you to be. And whatever he has for you tomorrow, he'll let you know when you get there. <laughs> and so this is, um, this is something. So he prepares us. It's always important for us to understand this. He prepares us. And he prepares us for step, step by step by step. Remember that? How he didn't give Moses all the, um, all the instructions for everything that he was going to do for his whole life at the burning bush. Because if he had told Moses everything he was going to have to deal with at the burning bush, he probably wouldn't have said yes. Elijah probably wouldn't want it to be a prophet if he understood that everything that was going to happen, the, the queen, witch was going to try to kill him, you know, all of these things. And so we find this man simply plowing in the field. That's a beautiful thing. I remember, it's kind of special because I remember one day, y'all let me, okay, thank you. Um, God had moved me back home to live with my father. I was, I don't know, I was like 20 maybe 25 or something. I had just moved back from Virginia. And I was kind of, at this point in my life, really kind of on fire for the Lord. And I remember I was helping my grandfather. He was pastor of our church. So I was helping him. So I'm outside. I'm literally in the field. Y'all, I know y'all are like, come on, Pastor Kevin. You're just saying that because of Elijah. No, y'all know where I grew up. I literally, and a lot of you guys have been hunting where I grew up, right, Rob? I was literally in the field. And my grandfather, he, who probably looked like Elijah, this is old dude. <laughs> He was probably 88 at the time, and he comes maybe 87. He comes walking up to me, and um, and I, I want I was just I knew I I began to, you know Anthony you begin to feel that stir on the inside. You know what I'm saying? You know God wants to do something. You don't know what it is, um, and he comes over to me and he wants to have me help him do some stuff at the church specifically that he needed help with and. And I remember that moment. I was like, man, I would love to do that. I've been waiting to hear you say something to me, you know. <laughs> and it's one of those things. So Elisha's in the field. And it says here he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And then here it says, and he was with the 12. There's a whole lot about him that we can gather just from that. First of all, if he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, he's probably on his father's land and if they've got 12 yoke of oxen that he can plow with on this land, um, he's probably comes from wealth or at least a decent family. They have some means about them. Okay. I can also pull from this that Elijah 
is in the, in the rear, if you will, he's with the 12th because often back then the men would work with their servants in the field often. And we see that even with Boaz a little bit as Boaz would show up and he's involved in the things that are going on, even though he has people working for him. And so this is a hardworking man who's involved with his servants. We kind of see a little bit of a relationship in even how this ends with them. So it, it get, I get the sense that he's a leader of people. He's a good man, he's faithful, and he's hardworking, and he comes from wealth. He has means to be able to accomplish some things, you know? So this guy has a bright future ahead of him. You know, his, his father's probably going to die, leave all of this to him at some point, and he's going to have the means to really be an accomplished man. This guy is going somewhere. That's what you can sense from, from just a few words here in verse 19. And while he's out there working hard with his men, plowing, he's bringing up the rear. There's 12 yoke of oxen, so 11 are in front of him. He's bringing up the rear with a particular yoke of oxen himself, finishing behind them probably as they come through the field, plowing and breaking ground and doing all that they're doing. And then all of a sudden it says that Elijah passed by him some... Uh, translations and scholars believe it means pass over towards him. But nevertheless, I get the sense that he did, he did do this and keep going. So he passed by him threw his mantle on him. His mantle would have been um, uh, kind of a, um, a robe, if you will, or a, a, a covering that he would wear. But for the prophet, it was kind of rustic and hairy. And we get a description of him later on, um, maybe almost like John the Baptist. So it's not like something that's royalty, if you will. But everybody knows that it's kind of what the prophet would wear. So it's kind of a garb that, that, a, that a holy man or a man of God would wear. And so it symbolizes something. He passes by and he throws it on Elisha. So this symbolizes that this, my prophet's mantle, I'm now putting on you because God is calling you to take up the mantle of a prophet and to, to fulfill this after me. Now, Elisha doesn't keep the mantle. We're going to see Elisha doesn't, but he'll give it back to Elijah. But eventually he'll, rec he'll receive it again in 2 Kings. We'll see that. So this is what's happening. This is kind of like a call of God for him. Now, here's the thing. This is not going to throw... Uh, Elisha into any kind of shock. He's probably a bit surprised that it's happening, but I think he's kind of prepared for it. And so we read, it says, and he left the oxen. Notice immediately Elisha leaves the oxen, ran after Elisha. Y'all see that? He ran after Elisha and, and he said, please let me Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. This kind of reminds us, and I, I paused a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago, because I didn't put it in my notes, and I hate that. Um, no, I do have it. Luke chapter 9. Just listen, not on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse 61 and 62. It says, and another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell those farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I believe Jesus was probably um, kind of giving this man a little scripture insight, a little Old Testament scripture insight to think back on this very text that, that any Jewish man would remember from the Old Testament. You kind of get it there? It's kind of a play there, if you will, in the New Testament. 
Um, but, but if you look at this, Elisha's heart, I believe, Elisha, excuse me, his heart is right because he immediately leaves the oxen. I don't know if you get that. He immediately stops what he's doing and runs behind Elisha because this is a big deal for him. This young man is already prepared for this. I don't know if you ever know what it feels like to be doing something. You're being faithful at doing something, but you just know that God's got something else for you to do. And you know God's got something else for you to do, but he hadn't revealed it to you yet. So you're faithfully doing what you're already doing. This is what I said earlier. We all should be doing. And then all of a sudden, here comes the call. God begins to reveal and make it clear to you what it is that he wants you to do. And now for Elisha, he realizes that God is calling him into the ministry and the role of a prophet within the nation of Israel. And he immediately stops. He immediately stops what he's doing. And he runs to him. His heart's right. He says, please, let me go kiss my father and my mother, um, and then I will follow you. He's not saying. Now, the, in the New Testament, the guys that would say that to Jesus were alluding to, well, when I get things in order, I'll follow you. You know, hey, well, you know, I got I to gotta bury my father first. You remember the one guy that said to Jesus, hey, let me bury my father first, and then I'll, then I'll follow after you. What he was saying is, hey, when my dad dies, because I got to make sure I get my inheritance. So once I get my inheritance from my dad, hey, then I'll follow you, Jesus. In other words, when I get successful, when I accomplish my will, my goals, my dreams, the stuff I want to work on, then I'll follow you. That's not what we see here. Elijah stops. This is what he's been waiting for. To serve God, to have the Lord uh, give me something to do, he's done. He stops and he says, look, just let me go say goodbye to everybody here because I'm rolling with you. And let me just handle that. Let me just run back, kiss them, and then I'm following you, Elijah. And that's exactly what he means here. This is what his heart is. Um, and so he is prepared for this. And I want to encourage you that you want to be prepared for the call of God when the call of God comes into your life. And the way you begin to prepare that is get your heart sold out for him. Sold out to him to the point that you become so content in Jesus Christ that whatever he says do is all you really want. I don't know if you've ever been there. If anybody there is, in here is there right now, anybody there right now? It's an amazing, amazing feel. And I remember when I was uh, working at, at First Citizens Bank and I got to a place of, I, I've told you all this many times before, being just overall content in the Lord. Um, and I remember, like this guy, think about it for a moment. He's going to walk away from everything. What's his father going to say? Is he going to have his inheritance? We don't know. We don't even know what his sibling situation is like. But he's willing to walk away from it all because he is, fully in love with the God of Israel, and he wants to serve him. He's going to go, look, the Bible says, look, look forward in verse 21. I'm getting ahead of myself. So he arose and followed Elijah and became his what? Y'all see it? His servant. Thank you, ma'am. He became his servant. Wait a minute. This dude is a manager, if you will. He's leading the production of, the, of, of, of wheat and all of that kind of stuff. He's in charge of the whole thing. He's going to walk away to be a servant to a prophet that kind of roams around wherever God sends him and get fed by ravens. <laughs> He's going to walk away from everything to be a servant of a prophet? Yeah. Why, why would he do that? Well, because he kind of loves God more than anything else. He kind of loves God more than life itself. You know, he gets to the point, you know, 
like, like David, you know, I, I just want to be in the presence of God. Anybody ever felt like that before? Man, it's an overwhelming feeling. I just want to be pleased by God. God. God, you're the only one who can satisfy my soul, and I'm willing to follow you wherever you call me to go. And that's what I get the sense for him. So he's going to walk away from all of these things to be a servant of a prophet. And so notice Elijah says to him, we'll go back again. Well, what have I done to you? And all he's simply saying is, hey, you know, it's on you now. The offer has been extended. And so what does Elisha do? Elisha turned back from him. He took a yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Now, a lot of people try to try to maybe assume that he is actually, you know, they're going to that they were actually worshiping God as if, as if this is a sacrifice. There's nothing in the text that indicates that it was a sacrifice. There's no altar. Um, there's no offering being made. So we don't want to assume that's what it is. It could have been. But what we do get the sense of is that he took, and you got to get the understanding of this. He took the equivalent of a tractor or two tractors <laughs> and the equipment. These were things that he used on a daily basis. This is very important to him for his livelihood. And he takes that equipment, that wood, and he makes a fire and he slaughters. Notice it says here in the text, verse 21, he slaughtered them. So he, because a, a yoke and of oxen is at least two. So he slaughters these animals, plural, and he boils the meat. He cooks it. He has a barbecue and he feeds the people. What people? Probably all of the workers, probably his family, and probably Elisha. And they have this feast because what he's saying is, hey, I love y'all. I love y'all and I, I wish you well, but I got to go serve God. I've got to go fulfill the call of God in my life. And, and I love each one of you, but I'm out. <laughs> and that's what he's doing here. And he, in, in this symbol, in, in this, to me, the symbolic thing is he takes that which with, which with he worked and labored and made his living. And he sacrificed that if you, if, in a sense, um, in order to celebrate what God had called him to do, he gave it up and he's going to walk away from it. Now, most of us in the room are never going to be called into full-time ministry. I know I, I, know I use those kind of um, applications a lot because that's kind of how it happened for me, but it won't happen for most of us. But the reality is, is God is going to call you into something and I want you to be ready for it when it happens. I remember when it was finally time for me to leave the bank, you know, um, I, uh, I got into a place, vice president, risk management, First Citizens Bank, um, had gone through the executive leadership training program, and then I was actually a GA in the MBA program there because they, 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 my boss wanted me to do all of that. And so I'm doing all of that stuff, and future's bright. There's opportunity, man. It was, it would, it was looking good, um, and my heart was longing. I was just ready for the call, but I was plowing at the bank, but I was ready for the call. I was plowing at the bank plowing in the children's ministry, but ready for the call. And so when the call came, you know, I knew, I knew it was time to go. And, and leaving ain't easy. He's having this meal. I understand that. I mean, I remember going out to lunches with the employees and saying goodbye to people and, my, and everybody hanging out and all this kind of stuff. And I remember when, it was, when the Lord was like saying, hey, I need you to leave my last day. The Lord was pressing upon me. Stuff was happening. And the Lord was finally saying, look, you need to walk out the door. And I had to turn in my, my little swipe thing to get on the property, and I had to walk out. And I'm like, I'm walking, what am I doing? Wait a minute, I went to college, I got a degree, I've been working all these years, 
I don't even know what's going to happen in Clayton. I have no clue. But I had to walk out. Can you imagine that? And then, and then just this burden, this faith on the inside, just this, this, this thing that God does, and you don't look back. You sometimes wonder, but you don't look back. And then the Lord just confirms and this little thing here, a little thing there, you know. And, and, you know, and then, then, then we buy, for just under $3 million, we buy this property. And then we just had it appraised, and it's right under $6 million in value. And we're building this place that we're going to move into with a 600-seat sanctuary. And I'm, look, I'm standing on this stage. It ain't even finished looking. And I'm like, well, you know, that was your voice telling me to leave. That was your voice saying leave. I'm thankful I left. I wouldn't have been able to see certain things if I didn't. Um, so it's just, that's what life is. Like I, feel, I just feel Elisha here. Because at the end of the day, there's no better feeling than just knowing that you're walking with the Lord. And that he loves you. And because he loves you, nothing else really matters. Maybe we got to do stuff. We got to be stewards. Y'all understand that. I'm not, I don't want to go to the extreme. We got stewardship always. But because he loves you, nothing matters other than that. The Lord is going to be with us. The Lord is going to keep us. Elijah's ready to go. He's, pray, he's, he's eating that meat, but on the inside, he's thinking about the adventure he's about to go on. And, and, and he doesn't even know what it's going to be like. And he doesn't realize he's going to get a double portion of the anointing that's on Elijah. And he's going to do some crazy stuff like we ain't never seen in the scriptures. And this dude is about to go on an amazing adventure for the Lord and see it. But right now, he's just going to be a servant to Elijah. Because we sing songs, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. You know, we, we sing these songs, but that's the reality. I'd rather be a servant for the Lord than a king without him or whatever, anything you can imagine. Nothing, nothing, nothing we accomplish matters if we don't have the Christ. Yeah. You know, it says that he, he left immediately. He's ready to go. You know, it's Peter that will later tell elders of the church. He says, shepherd the flock of God. First Peter chapter five, verse two, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. And so it's good to see. That's what Elisha's saying here. What have I had? What have I done to you? You know, this is, do you want to do this? I'm not, nobody forces us to serve the Lord, but we have a heart to. And he opens doors for us to just serve him in many, many, many different ways. Wherever you are with what you're doing with your life, God wants to use your life um, to bring himself glory. And so Elisha turned back, took the yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled the flesh, using the oxen equipment. And he, and he gave it to the people. And I love this. He blessed them. He fellowshiped with them. They ate. And then he arose and he followed Elijah and he became his servant. And we're going to see as we go through this, we're not going to um, hear a lot about him until we get to the place where Elisha, Elijah, excuse me, is about to go to heaven. And that's when we'll be able to see Elisha take over and become this amazing prophet. But in the meantime, he's going to be the servant of Elisha. He's going to follow him. He's going to serve him. We're going to get the sense. Um, somebody says uh, in another place where he washes the hands of Elisha. So he's just doing whatever Elijah needs done. It's not like it's grandiose, you know, um, anything that would, would be uh, something big in anybody's eyes, but he's preparing because he's a, he has a heart of faithfulness 
and it's already been displayed. Y'all understand that? The Bible says that God looks to and fro throughout the earth, finding somebody that he can find himself strong in. The Lord is always looking to, to move people into positions to, to do things for him, but he only chooses faithful people. He only chooses people that are already faithful at his call. He never chooses people that are sitting on the sidelines doing nothing and complaining. Never. You have to position yourself in a, to be ready, if you will, to be called by God. And, and, it, and it starts with small things, little stuff, just whatever he puts before you, step by step. God says, hey, do step one. But yeah, but I, what, what's going on down there, Lord? Why are you worried about that? You know, he's talking with, with uh, John in uh, John chapter 21. Peter wants to know, what's he going to do? And the Lord has to say, mind your business. Mind, don't worry about what John is going to do, Peter. You know, I know the, the text. And so what, whatever he's said to you, and everybody here knows what that is, prayerfully you do. Do that first step. Stop worrying about what's coming next. Plow the field where you are. If that's what he says, do plow the field. But I don't like this field. That's a better field over there. But that's the field he put you in. Plow the field he put you in. Make your field like the one over there or better. And then, then, then he'll be like, yes, I like that. Hey, here's some more instructions. Oh, wonderful, amazing. Hey, let me do the next thing. And then finally he'll say, you know what? It's my servant over there. Because if you think about it, if you go back up into the chapter, I'm trying not to go into chapter 20, but I'm going to have to go because it's, I don't have enough time. But if you go back up in the chapter that we're in, where he said um, to him, uh, we looked at it earlier. He says in verse 16, you shall anoint Jehu. Remember that. And then he says, and Elisha, the son of Shephet of Abel Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Elisha knew nothing about this conversation. Y'all think about that. He had the journey down. Elisha's been plowing. Y'all, I want to get your sense of something. Elisha was just being faithful. He knew nothing that was about to happen. And that's when God called him. That's when God called him. And God is that way in many different things. Um, God sees where you are. And, you know, promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord on your job and in your business and in your home and your role within your home. All of those things. God elevates your marriage as you're faithful doing your part, your role. You know, uh, God gives you, uh, as we talked about on Sunday, revelation and vision for things as you're faithful doing the things that you're already called to do. That's when he makes it clear what you're supposed to do next. You know, Elisha continued to receive a word from the Lord to go here and do that because Elisha had a life dedicated to spending time with the Lord in prayer and in the study of the scriptures and in serving him. So because that was his life devoted to the Lord, he was able to clearly hear the voice of the Lord. So he understood what he was supposed to do today, not worried about tomorrow. And so we see these things as we go through, and I want you to continue to just meditate on those. Um, because I think each one of us, remember I told you the book of Acts doesn't actually end it gives the illusion that, that it continues. In other words, everything that happens in the church is a story in and of itself. So your life is a part of that story. Your life is a part of the story of the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. Okay, so make your story good. So when we get to heaven and I can pull your DVD and see all the stuff I don't see now, it's going to be good. All righty, so I'm, I'm rambling, but I'm going to move on. So chapter 20 
So now Ben Haddon, and this is an interesting guy. He's the king of Syria. He gathered all his forces together. 32 kings were with him with horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Now, I want to remind you, all of this is happening while Asa is still king of Judah. <laughs> I keep reminding you of that. And in Judah, everything's peaceful. They down there having a blow up because they're worshiping their God. Okay, it's not perfect. You know, the life has trials, but because they're worshiping their God, they've had this one king for 40 something years and they're pretty blessed. There's nothing, this crazy stuff is not happening to them. But now Ben Haddon and 32 kings are besieging Samaria, which is the capital, you remember, of the northern tribe of Israel. This is where Ahab has his place set up and Jezebel's running everything because that's what she does. And Ahab has no backbone to deal with her. And so she's causing and wreaking havoc and killing prophets. In verse 2, then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and he said to him, thus says Ben-Hadden, he thinks he's somebody, like he's God or something, thus says the king of Syria. He says, your silver, your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And and, and check out this now. Here's Ahab, and the king of Israel answered and said, My Lord, O King, just as you say, I and all I have are yours. I don't mean no harm. Proverbs chapter 29 says that the fear of man brings a snare. Ahab doesn't have the right God. He's worshiping Baal. So because he's worshiping Baal, he has no faith, no boldness, nothing. He has no ability to stand against the king of Syria. Um, and so because he's, he's gone away from his God. Now, what we're going to see, because I'm not going to be able to finish it tonight. I need y'all to understand this. What we're going to see now is God trying to reach Israel and reach Ahab because he's going to show so much grace towards them. And that even though they are away from him, he's watching over them and he's going to spare them. And remember, um, God told Elijah that he had 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Y'all remember that? Plus, many people turned back to God after Elijah killed uh, or after Elisha challenged the 450 prophets of Baal and then the people helped him to, to slaughter them. So things are changing in Israel. So let's see what it says next. Verse five. Um, then the messenger came. I'm sorry. Did I skip any of that? Verse four. And the king of Israel answered and said, oh, yeah, my Lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. So the messengers came back and said, thus speaks uh, ben Haddon saying, indeed, I have sent to you saying, you shall deliver to me your silver, your gold, your wives and your children and everything. In other words, he's supposed to pack up all the gold, all the silver, um, all the wives and the children and ship them off to um, the Syrian army. He says, but I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time and they shall search your house and the house of your servant and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in their eyes, they will put in their hands and take it. So this is a threat. Now, we're going to see this later. The similar threat's going to come to Hezekiah. We've got a ways to go. Hezekiah is going to respond differently. He's going to go in and he's going to pray before God. Ahab doesn't do that. Verse 7. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please... And see how this man seeks trouble 
but he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, my gold, and did not, and I did not deny him. So he's being honest before the elders. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So they give him some counsel. Don't, don't, don't give in to this. Verse 9. Therefore he said to the messenger of Ben Hatton, Tell my Lord the king, all that you sent for uh, sent for to your servant the first time I will do. But this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed, brought the word to him, and Ben Haddon sent to him and said, The gods do to me, uh, do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left in Samaria. I mean, these, are, these Assyrians got some words, don't they? If enough uh, dust is left in Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. Thus says the king of Israel, um, so, excuse me, the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor, he's getting a little, little boldness here, boast like the one who takes it off. And it happened when Ben Haddon heard the message as he and the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. Suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall not, excuse me, you shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord, By the young leaders of the provinces. And he said, who will set the battle in order? And he answered you. And I love this. Because Ahab, according to the scripture we saw a few chapters ago, was worse than all the kings before him. His wife, killing the prophets, he's leading the people into the worship of Baal. Yet the Lord sends a prophet to say, listen, I'm going to deliver you. And you're going to lead the army. Can you all imagine that? That's the grace of God. That's an overwhelming grace of God still to, to try to reach his people. How many of you, when you were not walking with the Lord, but you got saved and you look back and, you know, and you can see where God's hand was upon your life because he was trying to reach you? Oh, man, the times you should have died and he didn't. God is so gracious. <laughs> and we see that here. And so God, God sends this unknown prophet. He speaks and he says, I'm going to deliver you. Um, and, and, and I love that. He says, hey, this whole mighty army. You see, I am going to deliver him into your hands. So Ahab finally inquires, if you will, um, and the prophet answers his questions. You know, his heart is now kind of a little open, if you will, um, towards God. God is trying to reach him and God is trying to spare his nation. And so we got a, we're a little bit over time, but I'm going to read a little bit down maybe to get to verse 22 and it will pick it up in 23 next week. So verse 15, and he mustered the young leaders. So now Ahab is following the word of the prophet. He musters the young leaders of the provinces. Um, and there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Manhattan and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. Because they, they don't think Israel has a chance. He's got 32 kings with him. He's got a massive army. What is he worried about Israel for? So they're camping out. They're saying, yeah, we're going to collect all this, all this uh, spoil and carry it off. 
And so they out getting drunk by the command post. Verse 17, the young leaders of the provinces, this is for Israel, went out first and Ben-Hatton sent out a patrol and they told him saying, men are coming out of Samaria. And he said, well, if they come in, out in peace, take them alive. And if they have come out for war, take them alive. In other words, he's saying, well, it's impossible for them to beat us. So however they came, take them alive. <laughs> we'll use them. He has no concern for them in his pride. He's not worried about them at all. He doesn't know their God is with them. Amen. This is grace. This is grace. This is grace. Even when you ain't got it all right. And you, you know, but yet God is, God has said he's going to defend you. He's faithful to do so. Amen. So these young leaders and the provinces were out of the city with the army, which followed them. And each one killed his man. So the, Samar so the Syrians fled and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadden, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse. <laughs> He's running for his life now with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses on the chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, go strengthen yourself. And look at this. Take note and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. And like this. So the prophet speaking to the king is like, look, take note. Look what God did today. And you need to get yourself ready because they're coming back. And, and so I love this as we, we see God showing grace towards uh, Israel, towards Ahab. And what it speaks to us is that God never abandons fully. And he's always watching over and he's always trying to reach and um, we might need to know that tonight. Maybe, maybe some of the parents in the room may need to know that for some of your children. Um, or maybe you feel like you've drifted away and you don't feel like God is going to help or move on your behalf anymore because you just messed up too many times. And the reality is God is not done yet. God still wants to draw you close. God still wants to clean you up. God still wants to use you mightily. Paul said to the Philippians that um, he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. I love that. He will complete it. He will complete it. That means if he started something, no matter where you are in the process, he ain't done yet. That's good news. Amen. That is good news. So you, you mean to tell me, God, that, 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 I ain't, that, that where I'm at right now, there's more, there's greater. You're going to do, you're going to really strengthen me. You're going to, you're going to strengthen my, my, my faith, my walk, um, uh, all of those things. Yes, absolutely. So that when I stand before him, he'll just say, well done. And wherever I miss the mark along the way, like wood, hay, and stubble, it'll be consumed. And then I'll have something left on a crown that I can just cast back at his feet and worship with. That's all you want. There's a little something to worship with. You know, just up in heaven, the crowns like tambourines, just we're going to be dancing. Y'all are going to be a little bit more Pentecostal in heaven. I always tell you that. Because <laughs> once you see him, you're done. You're going to be hitting the floor and, and getting up. For a thousand years, we're just going to be trying to get off the floor because we'll see him and we just, he's just too, yeah, he's just too, he's too much. He's too awesome. And time doesn't matter. So a thousand years of just trying to gaze upon him because he's so awesome. And then, you know, and then, then the next thousand years would be, you know, we're on our feet dancing, I guess. I don't know. After maybe, you know, a billion years, we'll finally be able to, like, you know, talk to him. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just talking, y'all. None of that's in Scripture. But um, not, at least not that way. 
God is good. And we need to love him and let him love us. Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we do thank you tonight for just, just your overwhelming love, Lord God, your presence in our life. We long to, to be in your presence, Lord God. I pray for the marriages in the room. I pray that you would strengthen them, Lord. Draw them in, into just this closer intimacy with one another and you, that they may be blessed, their homes may be covered. For the singles, Lord God, um, let us all just draw so close to you, Lord God, that, that we lack nothing and want for nothing. The Lord, is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or lack of anything. And so, Father, let us all be able to say that as we worship you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.